John chapter 15, we are going to be reading from verse 16. John chapter 15, verse 16. And so remember the context here. This is uh, uh, just on their way out of the upper room. They're en route, en route to, to Gethsemane. And Jesus is speaking to them and teaching them while He is walking. He says, You did not choose Me, John 15, verse 16. You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give to you. So He says, You didn't choose Me, but I chose you. You know, many times students will ask me about uh, uh, predestination and how that can work and, and what's going on here. I will give you my understanding of that. So Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at, at uh, um, from verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And I'll tell you, one of the things that really helped me with this, to really understand this, is when we were building a molecular computer. And it was a, 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 uh, we had first named it a molecular brain, a synthetic brain, and then DARPA didn't like that name. They were afraid that, that they would get too much negative press. And then a decade later, they had a synthetic brain project. But at the time, this was right around 1998, 1999, we started building this synthetic brain. And what we could do is, is there were all these molecules in there and we had to program them. And we didn't know what the state of any of them was. And when I say a lot of molecules, I'm talking somewhere around 10 to the 18th molecules. That's a big, big number. And uh, we didn't know what their state was, but we had to program them. And we started coming right up against in the program what it, what it was to be omniscient, being able to know everything but not necessarily change it versus omnipotent, knowing everything and being able to change everything that you wanted to change. So we know God is omnipotent, but we know that He grants us a free will. But look at what this says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the first among firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So very often people will come and speak to me about predestination. They'll have very, very many questions about that. But the Bible doesn't start with predestination. doesn't start with predetermining anything. It starts with, in verse 29, those whom He foreknew, He predestined. So God knows everything, and God knows the very decisions that we are going to make long before we've ever made them. You say, how can that be? Well, because He's God. He knows what our decisions are going to be before we've even made the decisions. And it's in that that There is this foreknowledge. He says, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. So foreknowledge, knowing what people are going to do, 
Once he knows that, then he predestines according to that foreknowledge. Does that make sense? So it doesn't start with predetermining anything. It starts with a foreknowledge. This works very well for me. I don't know if it will work similarly for you. And, and, uh, uh, but it works very well for me. Some, for some of you, nothing works. Nothing will work for you. You'll remain eternally confused until you meet Jesus, and then it will be clarified. But for those others of you, maybe it will bring you some peace. Okay, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. So, so this, is, this is the portion that we just covered where he chose us. But then he, let, let's, let's start reading now. And we covered 17 last week. This is my command that you love one another. Let's move down to John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you were not of the world... Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they both have seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. And the next verse in 16.1 is, These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. Okay, so He has told us something to keep us from stumbling. And what he's done is he's warned us about hatred that will come our way. Hatred that will come to the believer. There is a hatred, he says, that comes. He says in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This is what Jesus says. He says in verse 28, He who hates me hates my father also. And think about this. You don't, you're not born hating Jesus. It just doesn't happen. You're not born hating him. In fact, if you grow up in a vacuum, you're not going to know anything about Jesus. You're not going to hate him. Hatred of Jesus comes by being taught to hate him. You don't inherently hate Jesus, you're taught to hate him. There are some religions that teach hatred toward Jesus. Uh, Some religions that teach hatred toward Christians, but some religions actually teach hatred toward Jesus. There's not many. But there's some who really hate Jesus. And remember, they weren't born that way. They were taught to hate Him. 
And we see a pattern here, and we see a pattern today that's no different than what was in the Scriptures a long time ago. And why would this hatred come? Well, let's first look at a person who really hated Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. The book of Acts chapter 9. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing his threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. So this is Paul, the great apostle. His name was Saul until his name was changed. But his name was Saul, and it said that he continued to breathe out his threats and imprisonments and murders toward those who spoke about the name of Jesus. This is what it says in in Acts chapter 8. And then it says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9, still breathing, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul hated Christians. He hated Jesus. This was something that he was taught. And it said, he went and he sought letters from the chief priests to go uh, uh, to the synagogues in Damascus and take any of those who worshipped Jesus, who followed this, what was called the way, which was part of a sect within Judaism, and bring them back bound. But he was breathing threats of murder. He absolutely hated Jesus. But what's profound here is, he changed. Jesus visited him, and he changed, and he became the apostle. And Jesus said of him, I'm going to teach him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We hear of this blasphemy law, where if you're in a Middle Eastern country, and you say something, somebody can accuse you. You may not have even said it, and this happens, but they want to get rid of you, so they said, they may say, you have blasphemed a certain prophet, or you have blasphemed God. And based on the testimony of a person who says that you've blasphemed, you can be picked up, put in prison, and even killed. But this is no different than it always was. Look in, in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to start reading from verse 63. Matthew 26, reading from verse 63. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of, the pow- right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, he deserves death. 
Jesus was the one who was first held for blasphemy and who was killed for blasphemy. Things haven't changed much in some parts of the world. There are people that hate the name of Christian. There are people that hate Jesus. And why would God, why would God allow such things? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter, this is the book of, of 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, there are many instances of why God allows such things, but we can pick this up in 1 Peter chapter 4, where it talks about the sufferings of Jesus and the sufferings then that Christians go through because the words of Jesus are so true. If they hated me, they will also hate you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And what Jesus had also said in John chapter 15 is, He who hates me, hates my Father also. If you find a person that hates Jesus, they hate God the Father as well. They really hate God the Father as well. He who hates me, hates my Father also. But we're reading in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on, on you. If you are reviled because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. If people pick on you because you are a Christian, the Bible says you are particularly blessed. Jesus said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are you, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of Me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I used to do door-to-door ministry when I was in, in college and graduate school and, and uh, I'd knock on doors and, and at the time at Purdue University, I had gone through every apartment that surrounded the campus. Every apartment I had gone through. And I knocked on every door and I remember that people would open the door and I'd say, Hi, my name is Jim Tour. I'd like to speak with you about Jesus Christ. And when they'd make a comment and slam the door, I thought that was wonderful because I got blessed just because of that. I didn't have to do any work. All I had to say was, my name is Jim Tour. I'd like to talk with you about Jesus Christ. And they'd say something and they'd slam the door. The Bible says you are blessed when men revile you. You are blessed. I didn't have to do any work. How easy could it be? The Bible turns the whole thing around and says you are blessed. This is what he says here. You are blessed when this happens. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So he talks about that there's a testing in verse 12. He says, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. And go down to the last verse of that chapter, chapter 1 Peter 4:19. now. 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. This will come. 
and you say, well, you know, it hasn't come in my life. It will come. If you want to walk with, with Jesus, the Bible says, all those who desire to walk godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Either the Word of God is true or it's not. And it is true. If you want to walk godly in Christ Jesus, there will be times of suffering. Jesus said, I'm telling you this so that you don't stumble. In John chapter 16, verse 1. So that you don't stumble. He says, I'm giving you this warning so that you don't stumble. I want to I talk about a man named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee. And so Watchman Nee is a, is a great, probably the greatest known Chinese uh, 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 Christian. Probably the greatest known Chinese Christian. And uh, Watchman Nee was an amazing man. And, and uh, um, so I, I, I'm sure my Chinese friends here are wondering, Watchman Nee, that's not even a Chinese name. His name was Nee Tuoseng. Nee Tuoseng. All right? And so Nee Tuoseng, and I'm just reading out of Wikipedia. Nee Tuoseng, <laughs> he was born in 1903, and he, and he lived until May 30th, 1970, 1972. He was a church leader and a Christian teacher who worked in China during the 20th century. In 1922, he initiated church meetings in uh, Fuzhou that may be considered to be the beginning of local churches. During his 30 years of ministry, Nee published many books expounding on the Bible. And I'll tell you, I have read many of Watchman Nee's books. They are amazing. This guy is so powerful. I've read his, his, uh, his devotional, his daily devotional. For years, I went through that. And then, and then uh, uh, The Spiritual Man, for example. These books are amazing. You see the depth of this man. And, and uh, so, so here, here's something about... about uh, uh, so he got saved at the age of 17. The age of 17 on April 28, 1920. Many of you have heard my testimony. Here is his testimony. On the evening of the 28th April, 1920, and this is quoting from his book, I was alone in my room, struggling to decide whether or not to believe in the Lord. At first I was reluctant, but I tried to pray. But as I tried to pray, I saw the magnitude of my sins and the reality and efficacy of Jesus as the Savior. As I visualized the Lord's hands stretched out on the cross, they seemed to be welcoming me, and the Lord was saying, I am waiting here to receive you. Realizing the effectiveness of Christ's blood in cleansing my sins and being overwhelmed by such love, I accepted Him there. Previously, I had laughed at people who accepted Jesus, but that evening, the experience became real for me and I wept and confessed my sins, seeking the Lord's forgiveness. As I made my first prayer, I knew joy and peace such as I had never known before. Light seemed to flood the room, and I said to the Lord, O oh Lord, you have indeed been gracious to me. You know, when I read his testimony, it reminds me of my own testimony. When the Lord came to my room in 1977 as a, as a student at the age of 18. Very similar. You know, so I'm really touched by that. And, and he immediately threw himself into ministry. And his ministry composed several parts. There was the, the literary work. So he's written at least, at least ten books. About eight of them are really popular books. So he, he wrote, that, that was a main part of his ministry, to write books to, to encourage the church. 
He had meetings for the overcomer. He built up local churches, started many local churches. He had a youth training camp. Uh, but but um, uh, then came his times of suffering. So now that we're talking on this, what I want to do, why, the reason I'm talking about Watchman Nee is because I want to tell you about what he suffered. And I'm making no commentary here. I'm just going to read from Wikipedia and tell you about this, which is quoting actually from his book. It says, After the rise of the Chinese Communist Party in 1949, Christians came under great persecution. False charges and arrests were brought against many foreign missionaries. Through intensive propaganda campaigns, the threats of imprisonment believe, through, and threats of imprisonment, believers were influenced to accuse one another. Now, thank God, China is no longer like this. On April 10, 1952, Watchman Nee was arrested in Shanghai by public security officers and charged with bribery, theft of state property, tax evasion, cheating on government contracts, and stealing of government economic information. Ni was, quote-unquote, re-educated. My, my Chinese friends know exactly what that means. On January 11, 1956, there was a nationwide sweep targeting the, the co-workers and elders in the local churches. Some died in labor camps, while others faced long prison sentences. On January 18, 1956, the Religious Affairs Bureau began 12 days of accusation meetings at the church assembly hall on Nanyang Road in Shanghai, in which many accusations were brought against Ni in large accusation meetings. On January 21, 1956, Ni appeared before the High Court in Shanghai, where it was announced that he had been excommunicated by the elders in the church in Shanghai and found guilty on all charges. He was sentenced to 15 years imprisonment with reform by labor. Initially, he was detained at Tilenkwil Prison in Shanghai, but was later moved to other locations. Only his wife, Charity, was allowed to visit him. On January 29, 1956, public security took over the Nanyang Road building and many of Ni's co-workers were arrested and put into isolation and forced to repudiate Watchman Ni. Some co-workers joined in the accusation of Watchman Ni, while others, such as Pi Swang, Ruth Lee, and Yi Cheng Hua, remained silent and were punished with life imprisonment. Following this, mass accusation meetings were held across the country to contain to condemn the, quote, anti-revolutionary sect of Watchman Nee, unquote. So he, he spent 20 years in prison. Remember, he was sentenced to 15 years. But here's what it says. It says, one year before his knee's death in 1972, his wife Charity died due to an accident. Nee was not allowed to attend her funeral. Charity's eldest sister then took the responsibility to care for Nee in prison. Nee was scheduled to be released in 1967, but was detained in prison until his death, May 30, 1972. There were no announcements of his death, nor any funeral. His remains were cremated on June 1, 1972, before his family arrived at the prison. Now I'm quoting from Nee's grandniece, who took care of him. It says, quote, In June 1972, we got notice from the labor farm that my granduncle had passed away. My eldest grandaunt and I rushed to the labor farm. But when we got there, we learned that he had already been cremated. We could only see his ashes. Before his departure, he left a piece of paper under his pillow. 
which had several lines of big words written in a shaking hand. He wanted to testify to the truth which he had, he had even unto his death with his lifelong experience. That is, quote, this is what Nee wrote on his last note that he hid under his pillow. Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Watchman Nee, unquote. When the officer of the labor farm showed us the paper, I prayed that God would let me quickly remember it in my heart. My granduncle had passed away. He was faithful until death. With a crown stained with, 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 a crown stained with blood, he went to be with the Lord. Although Nee never... Uh, although Nee did not fulfill his last wish to come out alive to join his wife, the Lord prepared something even better. They were reunited before the Lord. And, and he was actually, actually uh, um, acknowledged by the U.S. Congress in, in uh, June 30th in 2009 for his great Christian work in China. Amazing man. Here is a man who went to prison, spent the last 20 years of his life in prison, and would not deny the Lord because he knew what God had done. He would not deny the Lord. And his books stand to this day for what he believed in concerning Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. God has a purpose for this because in suffering, there is a greatness that takes place. I want to read you one passage one passage from one of Nee's books where he's teaching about, about Saul, King Saul. Not Saul the, the, the Apostle, but King Saul in the Old Testament. He has, this, he has these, this book of just short teachings. And here's what he says. And so reading from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, it says, And Samuel said, Though, though thou was little in thine own sight, Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? So he's speaking of King Saul. He says, King Saul was little in his own sight. He came from humble means. But when he became king, King Saul became king of Israel, his heart started to become proud. And this is what happens. Without suffering, the human heart can become proud. And it can become the downfall of people when the heart becomes proud. Here's what it says. Saul was only called to the kingdom of Israel because of the people's insistence that they should be given as king. This is what Nee writes. He was tall and impressive, the type of man who could readily be judged acceptable by most of the people. In spite of the doubtful basis of his position, God gave him every faculty, prospered him and blessed him. That's what God did. With King Saul, he was prospered and he was blessed. Now he goes on, he says, But of course Saul had to be tested. And there are few things more testing than God's prospering, especially when it is obvious to all. The one who has been greatly helped by God should be the humblest of men. But sometimes the very reverse is true. This was so in Saul's case. He failed in faith, and obedience, but fundamentally his failure was due to conceit. That means pride. He had been a humble man in adversity, but his prosperity led him into impatience, presumption, 
and ugly jealousy. May God keep us little in our own sight. Here is a man that spent 20 years in prison. He writes, may God keep us little in our own sight. There is a persecution that comes. There is, as the scriptures put it, a filling up of the sufferings that lacked in Jesus Christ. You say, there are sufferings that lacked? Jesus Christ lacked some suffering? He says, that's what the Bible says. And you and I are to fulfill those sufferings. There is a suffering that comes. Jesus warns us of this. He says, I am telling you this to keep from stumbling. In the United States, suffering is this. I wear a Christian t-shirt. Somebody is offended by that t-shirt. And oh, how I suffered. That person was offended by my Christian t-shirt. That's suffering in the United States. Alright? That might be the extent of the suffering that you've gone through. But I will assure you of this. If you walk with Christ, you will experience sufferings. You will experience sufferings at work. You will experience sufferings in the marketplace. Thankfully, in this society, our sufferings, what we experience, what I have experienced, what I've experienced in my career, is kindergarten. It is baby suffering. It is nursery school level suffering. The Bible says... Even, even Paul says, said, the Bible says, you've not suffered much. You haven't even suffered to the point of shedding blood. So the biblical, the biblical reference to suffering is, you've got to shed some blood. If you haven't shed blood, we're not even going to call it suffering. That's what the New Testament says. So if you tell me that you've suffered for Christ, show me the bloodstains. And, and one day a guy threatened me because I was on the, on, on, uh, the Syracuse University campus as a student. It's an undergraduate, and I was, I was, uh, I stood up on the chapel steps, and I just started preaching Jesus. Just started speaking as uh, loudly, just talking about Jesus. I didn't know that there was the the Jewish community was having a service inside the chapel. I just didn't know. How was I supposed to know? So I was on the church, and then one guy comes out, and and uh, uh, he says, "I'm Jewish, and I'm going to hit you in the nose." And I'm thinking. I'm Jewish too. Why would you want to hit me now? <laughs> but he never hit me. I mean, that would have been my opportunity to have shed some blood. But even then, it never happened. What we experience in this country is really mild. Now, times change. We don't know what lies before us. But Jesus said, I am telling you this so that you don't stumble. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they hated me, they hate my Father, and they'll hate you also. This is what the Scriptures teach. This is what the Bible teaches. And one of the greatest men of suffering who left and communicated with us something about how to overcome and how to love in the midst of suffering... Really, the, 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 the compelling thing is to think of, of, uh, of Paul, the apostle. Here is a man who hated Christians and would persecute them, have them thrown into prison and murdered, separating families, pulling them apart. Paul did this. But he was saved. May God keep our hearts soft, not to hate those who hate us, not to return in kind what is given to us, to realize that we have great blessing 
not to return that in kind. Because if God took the worst of them, Paul, Paul said, the Bible says Paul was the worst of the sinners. Now you may argue that you're the worst. No, Paul was the worst. How many of you have had Christians killed? Okay, none of you. Paul was worse than you. He was saved and impacted the world amazingly. May God keep us from picking up the hatred that other people might have toward us. To learn, it says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This is what the Scriptures say, that we are to bless those who curse us and pray for those who mistreat us. And I have done this to people who have come against me because of my faith. It is, I am commanded in Luke chapter 6. We are commanded to bless those who curse us and to pray for those who mistreat us. This is what we are commanded to do. And so, when somebody curses me because of my witness, when someone comes against me, I am commanded to pray for them. And this will change your heart toward them, just as it has changed my heart toward them. As I begin to pray for them, and pray for them every day I pray for them, then God changes my heart. The infection is with my heart. Because my Lord looked down from the cross upon the very people that crucified Him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is what He demonstrated to us. This was demonstrated in the life of Watchman Nee. To my Chinese friends here, I love the Chinese people. I mean, I work with so many of them. I love them. And I beg you, come to Jesus. Do what Watchman Nee was talking about to realize that He has died for your sins. The testimony has come to all men. The Bible says that the truth of His resurrection in Acts chapter 17 has been witnessed to all men. The truth of His resurrection has been witnessed to all men. Take hold of that. When I pray today, when I pray today, I want you to pray with me and receive Jesus today. Don't let another day go by. You have a great heritage And I think God is working so mightily, particularly among the Chinese people. Their hearts are softened toward Jesus to receive Him, particularly because of the persecutions that came toward Christians in the 20th century in China. Because of those persecutions, God deals back. He says, okay, you want to do this? Watch what I'm going to do with the Chinese people. And this is why you see so many Chinese coming to the Lord You have a gathering. There will be more Chinese among the Chinese people group coming to the Lord than among any other people group. They're just amazing the way God has prepared the hearts. And this country has been deeply blessed by first and second generation Chinese in this country. You go to any campus group on on a university campus and half the people there or more are first and second generation Chinese students. I remember when... when, when, uh, the first visiting scholars started visiting. I was an undergraduate, and I remember these were men in their 40s, and they had the blue coats and the little blue cap, and they would, they would come to class, and, and they, we, we, they started coming to the U.S. And then when I was in graduate school, students started coming, and I started meeting Chinese students. It was a huge change. You'd never seen anybody before from mainland China coming. And now what God has done, through those people who have come, They have now had children, and many of them are among the people sitting here. And they have been the great driving force of 
Christianity in the United States on college campuses and of our technological revolution. We never would have accomplished what we would have accomplished in the United States with all the very best brains came from China. The very best came from China and blessed our country. I'm asking you, give your heart to Jesus today. I'm going to pray, and then you give your heart to Jesus. We will pray together. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. I thank You so much for the testimony of those who have gone before us. Lord, thank You for the testimony of this man, Watchman Nee. Lord, I pray that we would learn from him to love our enemy, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us. And Father, for those here who do not know You, Lord, I ask, soften their hearts now that they would join me in this prayer. Father, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life and cleanse me of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He's risen from the dead. Save my soul and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Make me a child of God this day, I pray. Amen.